You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy birthday, Joe, and I'm going to give you an out. I am willing to stop doing the happy birthday, Joe, at the top of the podcast. However, there will be a substitution. And the substitution will be, Joe, feel the loving sound around you. Which would you prefer? Oh, my God. I would love to feel the loving sound around me for a while. Okay. In that case, I'm going to mix things up and you're going to get an alternative (laughs) greeting at the start of next week's podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up on today's show, I am just relieved I don't have to interview Michael Ian Black again. You have (laughs) no idea how nervous I was for that. I still think about it. I'm like... Oh, I really blew that interview. Did I come off like a freak? No. Do you think at the end when he did that little catchphrase, I teed him up for that he was annoyed by it? I literally had no idea what was going on at that point. I mean, it, I understand that you haven't seen the thing that I'm talking about. For those of us that are fans of that, to ha- have him say that is just... Anyway, coming up on today's show, it is sort of poker movie Mondays on a Wednesday, but plot twist, we're not doing rounders it's an audible a plan change we're pivoting we are pivoting i've always wanted to pivot we're pivoting to molly's game sort of but we're not actually talking about the movie we're talking about the game but that is not important this weekend (laughs) michael kaplan a very accomplished author and journalist who's done a lot of work in the poker field wrote an article about the real life molly's game I thought it might be cool to have him on the show. The guy's got lots of great stories, has done tons of mainstream poker journalism. Also, Brian Koppelman didn't return my message yet. Yeah, I'm sure he's very busy. A lot of people are hitting him up for stuff right now. So we're going to talk about the real Molly's game and a different take on uh, what happened uh, in the real life version as opposed to Molly Boom's book and also Aaron Sorkin's film. Michael Kaplan is going to help us out with that. Also, Michael has some really, really cool stuff in the mainstream, as I said, around poker and another poker movie in the works that we will be talking to him later on. Uh, We did some more EPT Retro this week. We'll uh, just clue you in on a few of the highlights from the second half of season three. And this week's super fan subject is the movie Heat, a movie I was lukewarm on at first and i got a chance to rewatch it and i'll tell you about that later on and that's what they call a tease ladies and gentlemen um worth reminding everyone how to apply to be a super fan uh, long story short because of what's going on in the world we're putting in some extra episodes where we would have taken breaks to go to monte carlo or for easter vacation that's all been scrapped so we're going to be recording more podcasts than we originally thought which is great fun and means we need extra super fans. So we need your specialist subject. We need you to leave us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice. And we need you to tweet using the hashtag poker in the ears, a screenshot of your review, plus your specialist subject, and then we'll get in touch and we'll try and book you in for a slot on the show. Uh, A reminder that if we are going to do our rounders retrospective in future weeks, we are going to need a rounders superfan. I would say at this stage, it would be our preference to have somebody new, someone who hasn't been on the podcast before, uh, a fresh superfan, if you will. Uh, So please apply. 
as per the methodology just explained, uh, be great to hear from some of you and a nice wide variety of topics for us to discuss and write quizzes about. Yeah, it certainly does not have to be movies. Also, no. you can leave us a review or a comment or a like either way, you lazy assholes, even if you're not <laughs> trying to be a super fan. Speaking of super fans, I yeah. did want to give a quick shout out here really quick. We don't do this very often, but I think this one's worth reading. This is from Dr. Sam Williams, who says, hi, James and Joe. I'm working my way through the poker in the years back catalog during my commute to work as a doctor in intensive care. Just to say a big thanks for your amazing work, which is giving me some much needed mirth and relief during a stressful time. Cheers. Is it a stressful time for doctors? I hadn't heard. Yes, my goodness. Sam, Dr. Sam, you're welcome. Thank you. We are thrilled to hear from you, and we are so happy that you are out there doing work so that we can sit at home and whine about shit. Absolutely. And these are the real heroes. These are the people who deserve thanks. So we do say thank you. And... I'm glad, Joe, our objective through this period is just to provide some light relief and provide yeah. a distraction to reality. So I'm glad that we're playing a very, 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 very small part. Um, are you still watching stuff? Because I'm yes. still blowing through the West Wing, and so I haven't seen anything else. I'm now midway through season two and loving it just as much as I did the first and second and third times. That's cool. Um, well, James, you inspired us. We decided to start watching the Marvel movies from the beginning. Oh, wow. Um, watching a, 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 something I haven't seen before. I'm having a difficult time doing it right now. I'm having it. I want comfort. I want familiarity. And uh, so like uh, two months ago, we were talking about the Marvel movies, uh, my girlfriend and I. And I was like, well, we definitely don't have time to watch 22 or 23 movies or whatever it is. So I started her with Ragnarok. I was like, this one's really easy to get into. You don't really, I would pause it every once in a while, explain a little of the backstory, but it's a pretty good standalone, probably the best standalone Marvel movie. And so we just went from there. We went for Ragnarok. She had actually already seen Black Panther. Uh, then we did um, Infinity War. Then we did Captain Marvel. And then, the other night, I was like, uh, hey, we still haven't watched Endgame. Let's watch Endgame. And about five minutes into it, I paused it like three times to explain stuff to her. And I was like, you know what? I just remembered this whole movie is them going back of course. to all the old movies. I'm like, do you want to just do this? Do you want to just we, – we probably can watch all 23 movies. Like I don't think we're going to be out of this quarantine anytime soon. And she was like, yeah. Let's do it. So we watched Iron Man 1 and 2, uh, both in the same night. We kind of had like a Saturday night date night. Hold on. As discussed on last week's episode, we talked about watching these movies chronologically. I believe you have skipped The Incredible Hulk 2008. I did, and I would have tried it because I did like The Incredible Hulk 2008. Now, at the time, I didn't realize it was part of a universe. Um, I just thought it was another Incredible Hulk movie, which I thought was the best one uh, that I had seen, which isn't really saying a lot. Um, but Incredible Hulk wasn't on Disney+. Plus. Well, I believe Universal Studios still own the, own the rights to that one. So I made like a mild effort, and I was like, you know what? Honestly, Incredible Hulk is fine, but it doesn't play a major part in any of the future movies. It, I would agree with you. It's one you can skip – 
in yeah. terms of the wider narrative, but it's better than a lot of the ones that you can't skip. So this is one I wanted to be my question okay. to you. Which ones can we skip? Because there are some. Because there, none of them are short. No, and look, my view is you've got a lot of time right now. So why do you need to skip any of them? And also, as again we've previously discussed, even the worst ones are still solid. They're still entertaining. Um, so I would say don't skip any of them. And they they all play a small part in feeding into the bigger plot, and they're all back referenced at some point. What yes. ones? What ones were you hoping to skip? I really, really, really disliked Captain America. The really? first one. I thought no. it almost turned me off to the whole MCU. Wow. I really like it. I really like it because it's so different. I love the wartime setting. But you, there's no way you can skip that. I actually think the three Captain America movies are my favorites. Of all of the standalone films, those three movies are my absolute favorites. The other two are so good. Uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War are both really really good you can't I just remember you can't. they made world war ii so silly with the lasers and the hydra and the and it was just i was like is this what th- this whole thing and thank god hydra only becomes it's kind of like a red herring right the whole hydra thing ends relatively quickly yes. uh in the universe i thought that there was going to be 23 movies based on this very goofy um laser beam red skull thing no no but bear in mind you're introducing the relationship between steve rogers and bucky you're introducing peggy carter you're introducing the super soldier program you're introducing the whole concept of cat being a man out of his time you cannot miss that movie it's the origin story of one of the key characters in the avengers all right so i won't skip that one and that's the only one i'm kind of dreading yeah, in so, that case, you'll right. be fine. The one, the one I was dreading was rewatching Thor The Dark World, but on second viewing, it was actually much better than I remembered it to be. Okay, so to say that, by the way, I remember really disliking Iron Man 2 also, and I didn't dislike that as much the second Agreed. time. Agreed. It was a um, disappointment when it first came out, but in retrospect, it's fine. It's fine, and also I think that it does... Uh, it, it sets some things up, too, that are, I don't know about necessary, but at least pay off more later on you some stuff about tony that you know that was kind of boring in the moment but you know as a chapter in a much larger book totally makes sense okay from movies to poker news what's going on poker today now it is time for poker in the years news and we start with the online version of the brazil series of poker bsop online joe did you see who won the main event was it fernando brito no so this series, four days, 11 events. The main event was a $215 buy-in with a 200K guarantee. But with 2,572 entries, the prize pool was more than half a million dollars. Now, when I tell you the name of the winner, you might not recognize it. But if you saw his face, you'd go, I remember that guy. I think Alexander Sheshukov. I think I remember who that is. Is that the sad sushi guy? Yes, sad sushi guy. <laughs> a player who up until this point in time was best known for walking away sadly with his trolley of sushi from the casino in Sochi was the winner of the BSOP main event, winning the 75K first prize and a BSOP bracelet. I mean, what a fitting ending, right? Like a year ago, he was in Sochi, very sad. Sochi's canceled, also sad, but hey... 
Not a bad cancellation prize, seventy-five grand. I hope that he is going to buy a lot of sushi with that $75,000. Just to give an overview of what's happening right now, Turbo Series is ongoing. We've got the Sunday Storm Anniversary coming up on the 26th of April, which has a $1 million guarantee. And I think we can probably expect Scoop to follow that. I'm sure there's going to be an announcement soon. But most excitingly this week, poker in the mainstream media. This was the article that you found, Joe, and you sent to me over the weekend. Yeah, so last week there was the, this article um, written by Andy Bellin, and he sort of uh, wrote this article about uh, a Hollywood home game, although it's in New York, taking place over Zoom now, and guys like Hank Azaria and Brian Koppelman and Andy himself, uh, you know, they're still playing their weekly game. They're just doing it over Zoom. Uh, and then this weekend, there was another poker article, and I think that, you know, much like our podcast, James, I think news organizations are kind of turning to like a little bit lighter fare, things that are just sort of like more uh, interesting and sort of, uh, you know, just distractions from typical news. There was another poker article, the New York Post, about Molly's game by Michael Kaplan. Now, Andy Bellin, who wrote the article I just referenced, was one of the original players in Molly's game. Yeah. Uh, And this article, actually, even though... Look, Molly's written a book. There's been articles in Vanity Fair. There's been the movie. This article is actually pretty interesting. Shed some, put a new twist on the story. And I, there's um, a quote by Norm MacDonald where he says, you can't trust the author, right? Where he says, everyone tells the story from their own perspective. And now this new Michael Kaplan article puts a new spin on Molly's game and what was really going on there. And I believe the concept is the unreliable narrator. And certainly whoever is telling the story is going to tell their version of events. And to be honest with you, somewhere between this story and her story probably lies the truth. What I find interesting about this article and about this new book is it's naming names. Because one of the things that Molly Bloom didn't do was name many of the players in the game. Now, all those names are out there for all and sundry to see. Yeah, so this uh, this obviously focuses on a guy named Houston Curtis, who is re- one of the few names that is named in Molly's book and in the movie. And Molly, at least in, in both the book and movie, paints him as a somewhat sympathetic character, but also a bit of a degenerate. And this article paints him more as like the mastermind behind the whole thing and not not as sympathetic, but also not as pathetic either. He comes across pretty pathetic in the movie. And I'll say this, James, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I've had dealings with that guy. Um, Huff and I came up with a poker concept uh, for a TV show years ago. We ended up taking a meeting with him because he was a remember He's a TV producer yes. and he offered to option our show from us at, with a price tag of $500 uh, for the option. And at the time, Huff and I were like pretty excited. Like somebody just wants to, you know, more or less an option is they just want to borrow the, you know, the, the, to try to sell it for us. And they're going to pay us $500 to do it. And then we read the contract and in the contract, we were guaranteed 1% of the ownership of the show once we sign this option for $500. So uh, I'll just say this. He comes across to me in real life as a bit of a ruthless businessman and someone that I'm not sure we can trust him as the narrator, but Michael Kaplan spoke to him personally. And now I think we should speak to Michael Kaplan. Michael, welcome to the Poker in the Ears podcast. Hey, how's it going? 
Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. I first of all, I, before we get too far into it, I I really enjoyed the article. I didn't think that there was uh, much to be learned that was new about Molly's game, having read the book, having seen the movie, having read the articles in the past. But somehow you managed to find uh, some new information, or at least uh, someone with a new story to tell. How did that come about? I mean, to be honest. Um, Houston Curtis has a book coming out called Billion Dollar Hollywood Heist. And I work at the New York Post. We found out about the book and I, you know, we decided it would make a great story. And that basically is it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty damn good book and it's really interesting. And as soon as I heard about it, I was like, wow, this is great because it does put, add some context certainly to, um, you know, to, to Molly's game. I mean, it seems like it was more Toby and Houston's game. Yeah, so context and a little bit of a conflicting story. Is there a lot conflicting here? Do you think that there will be uh, waves of of people arguing over what the reality was of the situation? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because, I mean, you know, if you read Molly's game, I mean, you know, she makes it sound like she pretty much masterminded it. And if you read, you know, Houston's take on it, it sounds like he and Toby Maguire pretty much masterminded it. And Molly was kind of a front for them that their friends didn't get suspicious that like, Oh, why are these guys putting on this game? And they always win until so let's, of course Houston lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is he's portrayed as kind of a loser, both in the book and in the movie. Um, maybe I just got the wrong impression and saw what I wanted to see, but you know, that your article in the book seems to directly contradict that. Well, I mean, he, and this is according to him, you know, he was a winning player. He, he, you know, he had, he was a serious card cheat, you know, a mechanic, a card mechanic, but he clear to be clear, he is, is, according to him, he, there was no cheating at all in this game. And Toby had zero to, Toby didn't even know his background as a card cheat. So Toby knew nothing about it. And Houston says that he never cheated that, you know, he, he beat the game straight up for a long time. And then he had like one disastrous night where he lost a million dollars. And that came on the heels of, you know, a lot of, you know, blowing through money that he'd won over the years. Plus, you know, some other disastrous situations, like some money that he thought he would have coming that he didn't, his house, you know, dropped in value and he, he was in a bad spot. Well, I really enjoyed the article. Uh, I appreciate the new take on it. Let's uh, let's pull things back for a little bit. And how did you get here? Because I think we were both at Card Player at the same time, like in 2005 to 2007 era. Yeah, I was freelancing for um, a long time. I've been at the Post for four, like a little bit more than four years. Before that, I was strictly a um, full-time freelance writer. I mean, I've written four books. Um, including a book called Aces and Kings, which is a sort of a collection I co-authored with a guy named Brad Reagan. And it's a collection of, um, of sort of New Yorker-style profiles of poker players. I mean, we were definitely were inspired by the, um, by the book Fast Company, which is a pretty fantastic book. Um, and yeah, and that's, yeah, so I was freelancing for a long time, and Card Player was one of the places I freelanced for. I've written a lot about gambling and the poker world. I mean, I've written, I've interviewed probably, you know, 
I mean, maybe the big, I mean, I haven't been writing actively about poker, you know, for a little while, but certainly, you know, during the online poker boom and, you know, beyond that, I interviewed a lot of the top poker players. Yeah. And you seem to have gotten access to some of the folks that uh, are somewhat mythical, legendary. Uh, You've done a couple of big pieces on Phil Ivey. How did those come about? Yeah, I did two stories on Phil Ivey. One was for, for Cigar Aficionado, where I write a lot of their gambling stuff, or you know, pretty much all their gambling stuff. And and after that, I wound up doing the story on him for Playboy. Um, the, the Cigar Aficionado one came about because I think I, I pitched it, and then I, um, I I went to Phil, and he he was into doing it. I mean, it was kind of like yeah, he said yeah, he'll do it, and it was pretty straightforward. The Playboy one came about because that's when he was launching um, Ivy's League, his, you know, ill-fated, or I don't know if it was ill-fated, but certainly it didn't, you know, take off maybe the way he had hoped. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, his kind of poker tutorial. And he was looking for attention from that, and I got a call from a guy who works with him, who I had met previously. And, you know, we Coach put it Joe? together. And what's that? Coach Joe? It was not Coach Joe, somebody else. Coach Joe but, reached out um, to me during that time. I was hoping to be a part of that. I, I would call it ill-fated, at least my participation was. Yeah, I mean, you know, it didn't. I mean, I think I think the hope was that it was going to blow up and become a really big deal. But Phil was, was awesome. I mean, I spent a lot of time hanging out with him. And, um, yeah, he was, he, he was a great guy. He gave me a lot of access. I mean, there was a lot of start and stop while I was there reporting it. But, you know, that's that's Phil. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it took a little while. But, I, I mean, I was in Vegas working on reporting a probably for like 10 days. I mean, and it was a lot of back and forth. It was during the World Series that year. I forget the exact year it was. But, you know, it was like in the around 2012, I think, um, 2013. And it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, he was he was really cool. He's, I mean, he's such an interesting guy. Uh, he he is an interesting guy, and I think that you probably got to see more of him than most people do. I, you know, there was a time that I was friendly with him, but I don't think I ever really got through to see what his real life is like. If people saw what you saw, do you think that would do more to keep the mystique alive, or would some of it sort of vanish? Well, I mean, he lives a great life. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a funny thing. I was, I was there, and... Um, you know, we're hanging. I'm hanging out with him and his crew. You know, he had this really nice apartment in, I guess, it was in Summerlin. And I was hanging out with him and his crew there. And um, somebody goes, "Oh yeah, we're all getting haircuts." I'm like, "Oh okay." You know, where are we going? And then you know, a few minutes later, this guy walks in, and I'm like, "Well, that's weird." I mean, it just seemed like this kind of goofy haircutting guy walking here with haircuts at Phil's house. Then I later found out he's like the master barber of the Bellagio. So, you know, it was like, you know, he, he had a pretty nice life. I mean, whatever he wanted either came to him or he went to it. And, um, you know, he, he had he had a pretty good setup. There was a moment. One thing that I wanted was to watch him, you know, gambling. You know, such an, he was so notorious for gambling in the pit. And I really wanted to see that. And, um, you know, he was saying, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, why should I risk a ton of money for you? And um, then I'm like, at the World Series, kind of trying to find him, and I get a call from his assistant who says, "Oh, Phil's over at Caesars right now playing um, playing baccarat. You know, if you want to come, come over. Hop in a cab. I race over to Caesars, go into the high limit room. You know, this was when 
the, the stuff was going on with Kelly's son when that had all come out. I walked in with this giant legal pad. Phil goes, Phil goes, he goes, get rid of that thing. He goes, I come in here, I'm on high alert. So I, I kind of ditched the legal pad. And I sat down to him and watched him promptly lose, you know, three hands of $50,000. And he got really annoyed. He goes, he goes, I was actually getting everything, you know, I was actually even, everything was fine. And then you came here and I lost all this money. And he was, you know, pissed. And um, his guy goes to me, he goes, don't, don't let Phil see you as a black cat. He won't want to hang, he won't want you around. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, I go, Phil, I go, it's not like I came in here, you know, and, and jinxed you or something. He goes, I'm not that stupid that I think you jinxed me, but that's what, you know, I lost, you walked in and I lost all this money. I'm like, I'm like, Phil, I go, I'm really sorry. Then we're walking. I go, ah, it was only 150,000. Oh God. <laughs> you just kept walking. But here's the weird thing, Michael, well, because we always think of Phil Ivey as the poker player. And we first saw him on those early TV shows in the early 2000s, like the WPT. But for most people in the world, Phil Ivey is now better known as a Baccarat player because of all the legal problems he's been through in the last four or five years. Yeah, I don't really want, I'd rather not get into a conversation about that. If we can sure. Help it. I did want to mention, though, that the article you wrote from Cigar Aficionado did make some waves. Yeah, it got, op- it got option for a movie um, that's being written right now by Andy Bellin, a terrific screenwriter. And um, he, um, they're working on it, and you know, Aquafina is attached to him, and that's all been made public. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm very excited. I think it's going to be awesome. I do want to ask you that, you know, as long as we're on the topic of legends that people can't get enough of, talk to us about Stu Unger because I don't even think I know very many people who even have met Stu Unger, let alone spent any time with him. Can you sort of break it down for us the same way with him that you did with Ivy? Yeah, I mean, like, well, this was pretty insane. This was like in the, I don't know, in the 1990, late 1990s, after he had won his third bracelet, I had not written a whole lot about gambling, but I knew about that. And I convinced this magazine called Icon, which no longer exists, to let me go out and do a story about Stu Unger. And um, they were like, yeah, you know, they flew me to Vegas. Uh, the thing was, the weird thing was, I couldn't really, but, you know, get him to agree to an interview ahead of time. And the guy who ran the poker room at the horseshoe then, this guy, Jim Albrecht, he's like, well, there's no way Stu will not play in the World Series of Poker. That's unheard of for somebody to not come and defend their crown. I'm like, okay. So I talked to the magazine. I said, well, look, if I don't get the interview, we'll do a story on what it's like to be a professional poker player. So they're like, okay, fine. So I go out there and, you know, asking around, getting all all these secondary quotes about Stu. And I'm standing right where he's going to be sitting. I find out the seat he's got, and I'm standing there. And then an announcement comes over the, po- the PA system. Stu Unger will not be playing in the World Series of Poker because he's not feeling well. And everybody just started laughing because they knew that, you know, he had this bad drug habit, and it was more tied to that. And um, I called his room. I came up and talked to him. And he's you know, comes out in the hallway. He's yelling and screaming, oh, I'm going to give you the greatest interview ever. I was like, the kid in the Bronx tail, I was mobbed up at 15. And I'm like, great. I go, let's talk. He goes, call me tomorrow. I'm going to give you a great interview. And like, he looked terrible. I mean, he was like skinny. He was missing teeth. There were like these Pringles potato chips stacked up on the table in his room. Like they were like Pringles are disgusting. What kind of um, rock bottom do you have to be to eat Pringles? Yeah. 
and then um, of course, you know, he kind of disappeared. I never, he never didn't play in the in the World Series main event. I didn't, I never got my interview. But then I went back to Vegas like a couple weeks later on my own dime, tracked him down, and he gave me an insane interview. It was great. We went to Arizona Charlie's and sat at the buffet, and he gave me a fantastic interview. So it was, um, it was, it was really great. And um, yeah, I was definitely one of the last people to interview him before he passed away. And is, strangely enough, that's the same in the same hotel. The Oasis was where he his body was found, and there was a guy who was on this TV show, Suddenly Susan, who hung himself in that same hotel. So I interviewed the owner twice: once about Stu oh, and once about wow. the um, Suddenly Susan guy. So boy, you're having a lot of you know well-known people dying in your motel. Like this dive on um, on on you know bad part of Las Vegas Boulevard. Imagine all the non-famous people who probably died there too. Well, yeah, you know, you know, literally and metaphorically. Uh, is this is this article you wrote on Stu Hunger? Is it still accessible anywhere? Can people track that down? Well, it's going to be in a book I'm doing. I'm doing, um, and you know, Anthony Curtis, the guy who has like that publishing company, Huntington Press. Yes. I'm working on a collection of um, of all my you know, gambling and advantage play stories, but an advantage players that are not necessarily gambling. Oh my God, Michael, this book gamblers. is going to be brilliant. This subject needs to be tackled. People are so interested in this. So just to make sure I, I have it right advantage player guys that just game the system, right? Right. So like, I would say like there are guys, I mean, I did a great story for Wired about these guys who might've made close to a billion dollars with a computer system for beating the horse racing in Hong Kong. There's guys who, you know, there's, you know, the story about Phil and Kelly's son. There's, um, you know, guys that beat all kinds of casino games. Like, you know, James Grossjean is like the king of beating these games. Like, he'll reverse engineer games that casinos view as unbeatable and find, you know, errors that he can capitalize on and crush these games. And um, But then there are people who are advantage players who do nothing with casinos. Like, there's a guy who's an art dealer named Stefan Simkowitz that I wrote about for Los Angeles Magazine. And he's kind of upended the way you know, gambling, you know, the way art dealing works and, you know, galleries art, you know, standard art galleries hate him as much as casinos hate the James Grossjeans and Kelly sons of the world. So it's, um, it's the, um, that's, you know, like it'll be people like that. I mean, there's a financial dominatrix in there. I mean, someone, you know, convinces men to give her money and they, you know, get off on it. So it's, um, a whole, a whole range of people who are not necessarily, you know, what you think of as, you know, quote unquote gamblers. So it's going to be a really cool book. And I'm writing new, new text like that'll sort of give the backstory and give some insights into the pieces. I'm going to update them. And um, it's going to be it's going to be really, really cool. I'm very, very excited about it. It sounds very cool. When can we expect that to come out? Good question. I've got to finish it. <laughs> I'm, hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping I could use some of this coronavirus time to get um, a good chunk of it done. But, I mean, I've got all the stories picked out. Like, we know what's going to go. And now I just have to write, you know, these sort of backstory introductions and um, update everything, which I am in the process of doing. So, so hopefully sooner rather than later. If you had your druthers and could cover whatever you want for the New York Post from here on out, what sorts of subjects would you choose? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I've done I've done a lot of what I'm like. It's it's pretty fortunate like they let me do a lot of really cool stories and i did a story about street racing 
about guys that race illegally on the streets of New York. I like writing about people that are doing something really, that are really good at doing something that's possibly frowned upon. It's not illegal. So I've gotten to write a lot of those kinds of stories. So I am kind of getting to to write a lot of what I want. I'm trying to think if there's like any subject matter that I've not gotten to write about that I'm like dying to to do something on. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I I did this. Yeah, probably to be honest with you, I think I'm kind of doing it. I mean, not to sound cocky or something, but, you know, kind of feels that way. The one last thing I have, which you probably get asked this all the time, and I'm sorry if it's cliche. Have you ever felt unsafe? Have you ever felt in danger uh, in any of these sort of shady situations? Oh, yeah. I did. Okay, this this was the worst. Uh, Marie Claire magazine, of all places, sent me to Southeast Asia, to um, to Bangkok. To, you know, well, it was originally started in Bangkok to be a spy on a sex tour. And they just thought I was some regular guy on the tour. Of course, I didn't do anything, you know, untoward with any of the women. I'm mean, actually sure. bring them back to my room and interview them and, you know, give them their money that they wanted and let them order room service. And they were, they were thrilled. But um, if those guys found out I was a reporter, it would have been very ugly. I was incredibly nervous the whole time. Like I had a whole system set up to not get caught by them. But the people putting it on, they were definitely, it was like one of these things where it seemed like the greatest idea until I was like, I remember getting there a couple of days early. I was in a really nice hotel in Bangkok. And I was like, wow, is this, um, is this, you know, is this the smartest thing to be doing? And it definitely wasn't. So that was the one time I would say when I felt somewhat endangered, but you know, and you know, and then everybody's talking about all kinds of stuff. And I was just trying to be this weird flaky guy who didn't really know about anything. Like guys are talking about gambling and I had a lot to add, like, you know, they're saying things I knew they were wrong, but I'm not going to start blabbing about how much I know about things. So I was super, super low key. But as soon as I was on the plane flying home, I remember talking to one of the guys. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm like now myself again, just gabbing away and with opinions on a lot of things. So I was like, okay, I made it. I mean, they can't, they can't get me on the plane. <laughs> just before we force you to play one of Joe's stupid games, I just have a couple of questions to bring things back to where we started and Houston Curtis's take on the game. Let's call it that because clearly he paints it as Toby's game rather than Molly's game. We're dealing obviously with unreliable narrators here. Do you believe the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle? Do you think there's the possibility that one day some of the other players in the game will tell their version of the story? Maybe we'll hear Ben Affleck's account or Leonardo DiCaprio's account of the game? Um, okay. I would stand by what's in my story. I, I mean, I fact-checked it as well as you possibly could against what... Um, what um, Houston told me. And I mean, I've talked to other people. They said, yeah, you know, it, it, it's about right. Um, I do think there are other opinions. And listen, it's one of these things where it's, I think it's hard to pin it down. Like, oh yeah, there's only one version of the truth. I would yeah. agree with that. And who knows what somebody else will come out with. I would be curious to hear that myself. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we're still fascinated with this game several years on, and I just feel that it's not a done subject. I just feel that we're going to learn more stories and hear more about this because it's just become so legendary, not just in the poker world, but in, 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 in mainstream circles as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's pretty interesting. You know, it involved celebrities, it involved a ton of money, it was in Hollywood, it was all high-end, and, you know, it got made into a big Hollywood movie. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to be intrigued by. 
It's going to be like the Ghostbusters cartoon, how there was Ghostbusters and then there was the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> there might be another Molly's Game movie that ends up getting made. The real Molly's Game. Uh, Michael, has anyone offered to option your life? <laughs> Not yet. If you have any takers, let me know. Dude, because I don't even think for a movie, like a TV show, like, James, couldn't you picture, like, a miniseries, like, each episode, one of these adventures Michael's been on? Yeah, for sure. It's certainly more interesting than Murder, oh, well, she wrote. Um, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, so, you know, if anybody is listening to this and wants to step up, let me know. I would be totally down for that. Man, that sounds awesome. Unfortunately for you now, you got to play one of my stupid games. Are you ready? I am ready, but I will, I will right. let you know that two times at, there's an event called the Blackjack Ball, with, which is this gathering of serious advantage players. And there's a, it's a, the secret gathering that I've been invited because I used to play on a pretty big card counting team. So I know that world pretty well. And I've written about it a lot. So, you know, I'm like friendly with a lot of those people. And I, they, they have a contest and I finished last two times. So I'm just warning <laughs> you, I might totally flub this. It's a very easy game and it involves... Uh some things that you are quite familiar with. This game is called Name That Scoop. Uh, Dictionary.com describes a scoop as a piece of news published by a newspaper or broadcast by a television or radio station in advance of its rivals. Pokerstars.com describes scoop as the spring championship of online poker. This game will require you to name the poker scoop or the poker scoop winner. Very easy, multiple choice, Question number one. In 2014, there was a poker scoop in Vanity Fair written by Molly Bloom. What was the name of that scoop? Was it Inside the Viper Room? Was it My Game, Molly's Game? Was it Her House of Cards? Or was it Knock on Hollywood, Lady Luck in the House? Whoa. Um, that's tough. Um, I don't know. My game? My game, Molly's game, was incorrect. It was her house of cards. Why was it not <laughs> knock on Hollywood, Lady Luck, into house? That one is, uh, <laughs> that's what I would have called it. <laughs> Question number two. In 2014, Scott Seaver won a bracelet in the Poker Stars scoop. What was the name of that scoop? Was it deuce to seven single draw, deuce to nine single draw, no limit deuce to seven triple draw high low, or deuce to nine win loser draw? Uh, deuce to seven? Deuce to seven single draw is correct. Whoa. Question number three. <laughs> oh, by the way, for every question Michael gets correct, I'm going to give away a copy of uh, Martin Harris's poker and pop culture book. Uh, for when we discuss it on the podcast. And when Michael's book comes out, whenever it does, I hope to be able to do the same and maybe have him back on as a guest. Question number okay, three. Okay, hold on a second. In that case, I need to keep track of the score yep. then. So uh, we're one and one, one, right? So okay, one out of two. Total, total of seven questions. Here we go. Question number three. In 2005, Duff McDonald wrote a book, wrote a poker scoop for Vanity Fair about A-list celebrities like Ben Affleck and Brad Pitt playing in high-stakes home games. What was the name of that scoop? Was it a crazy game of poker, Hollywood Royals flush, <laughs> poker's wild, or knock on Hollywood, celebrities in the house? <laughs> um, 
Wait, what was the second one? Hollywood's Hollywood Royals Flush. I would say that one, Hollywood Royals Flush. The the answer the, the correct answer is almost as bad as that one. Poker's Wild was the correct answer there. Oh dang. <laughs> Okay. In 2005. I told, you, I, told you, I always, I always do terrible at these. So I, I like it. it. I cho- <laughs> I choke in competition too. This is more about the opportunity for me to read uh, dumb fake titles. Uh, question I love it. number four. In 2005, there was no scoop on Poker Stars, but in 2005, there was a scoop character on the children's television show Bob the Builder. Scoop was what one of my daughter's the- favorites. The Digger. All right, James, the question is not for you. Oh, am I just giving Michael, away the answer? Was the Scoop's answer, Scoop the Digger, <laughs> Dirt E. Harry, Holy Molly, or Beta Male Soil Boy? I'm going to say Scoop the Digger. I, I, I feel like I got it. I uh, <laughs> from, from your partner. Phone a friend is correct there. Scoop the Digger is the right answer. Question yeah, number Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I think you would have got that one. Uh, in question, I doubt it. Question number five. In 2018, the New York Times published a poker scoop interviewing Maria Konnikova. What was the name of that scoop? Was it Maria Konnikova's poker face? Maria Konnikova shows her cards, soul reading Maria Konnikova, or a peek at Maria Konnikova's hole? Oh, Joe. <laughs> I think she shows her cards. Maria Konnikova shows her cards so close. It was Maria Konnikova's poker face we were oh looking my God. for that there. Was my, that was my second choice. <laughs> Question number six. In 2018, Victor Blom won a scoop title on Poker Stars. What was the name of that scoop? Was it the $2,100 Badungi, the $2,100 Badangle, the $2,100 horse or the $2,100 whores? <laughs> horse. Horse is correct. Okay. That's three Woo. books. Final question. I think you'll know this one. Question number seven. James McManus turned his poker scoop for Harper's Bazaar into a book. What was the name of that scoop? Was it Positively Fifth Street, Absolutely Fourth Street, Anytime on Third Street, or there is no Second Street in poker. Positively Fifth Street. Positively Fifth Street is correct. Michael Kaplan, you got four out of seven correct. That is a winning score. I'll take that. We'll take it too. Michael, this has been an awesome interview. Thank you so much, and I do hope that you'll be willing to come back on again uh, the next time you've got a poker scoop. I had a great time. It was really, really fun. So, yeah, please have me back. This was awesome. Poker in the ears. So yeah, keep listening uh, towards the end of the show, Joe. I guess you'll give details on how people might potentially win one of those four books that are going to be awarded, courtesy of Michael Kaplan's performance in your dumb game. That's correct, but you have to listen all the way until the end. Ah, you're such a tease. So our EPT retro streams have continued. I think this has been our third week? Question yep. mark. Uh, and it's brought us to the end 
of season three. And we just wrapped on the grand final Monte Carlo, Joe. And I think a few people observed this in the chat watching on Twitch, that we're starting to see the evolution of the game now. And we're starting to see players like Gavin Griffin, who clearly have a much firmer grasp on the fundamentals and I guess the beginnings of what will be commonly referred to as game theory optimal play in 2020. Yeah, I feel like the grand final that we just covered, uh, we're starting to see the evolution begin. We're starting to see people understanding uh, that it's not all about clicking the all in button uh, whenever you think you can make your opponent fold, that their game's a little bit more nuanced to that. Guys like Gavin Griffin, uh, Mark Karam, who who kind of they don't quite you know have it yet, but these are going to be the guys probably on the forefront of of how these theories and these everyday strategies become developed back then. I think also what we just covered is the first time we saw the grand final really the grand final. I think that was for two reasons though, partly because I think the players that we saw, the standard of play that we witnessed, and the fact that it's in that room now. It's in the Salle des Etoiles. It yeah. feels like the Monte Carlo that we've known for the last 10 years. So that was fun to watch. But if I had to pick one highlight, and it was one which I teed up because there were a few hands we've seen in these last few events, which are now so famous because they've made it onto highlight reels, top fives. We've shown them during breaks. They've been on the best of the EPT. And it was the hand that really robbed Elkie of his first EPT title. He's <laughs> heads up against Magnus Peterson. Elkie has the chip lead at this point. He has ace-deuce. Magnus Peterson has pocket threes. There's a deuce on the flop. There's a deuce on the turn. Elkie pretty much sure he has a lock on this. He, the three on the river gives Peterson the full house. All the chips go in at that point. And Elkie is devastated because he sees he's been rivered. He feels that victory has just slipped from within his fingers. And he, he looks like his entire world has been taken away. And at that point, when he's at, at his absolute lowest ebb, Magnus Peterson strolls over, having been quiet for about 30 seconds, and says, that's why you shouldn't play bad aces. Oh, God damn it. And I think it's probably, to this day, the most brutal rubdown, the most horrific needle I've ever witnessed in poker. That, I mean, that is what I wrote down in my notes so far as the most memorable moment of yeah. all of the, I mean, what have we covered, like 20 episodes so far? 20, Some... it must be near enough that, yeah some massive number of episodes and that's what stands out to me. And the, the rub down had it happened immediately would have been bad. But the fact that the moment's over, oh, right? Yeah. Like the moment is long done. Like they're about to start playing again. And then he drops it on Elkie really bizarre and unnecessary. And just like, I get it when you lose the hand, right? But to, to say it afterward, I wonder Obviously, look, we, we all say dumb shit in our youth, right? Yeah. We all say dumb shit when we're relatively inexperienced and things. I wonder how he feels about that now. Because I would be surprised if he would like could stand by that statement. I no, think... I don't think you can. I don't think you can. But he's not a player who I have seen or heard anything from pretty much since his victory in Copenhagen back in 2007. Yeah, so I just wonder if that was if there was ever like any resolution to that. I wonder if he ever got back in touch with Elkie. I don't know if you saw this, but like Mike McDonald and Jamie Gold have reconnected via Twitter 
And Jamie's like, I was a huge asshole to you back then. I don't know if you've ever seen the clip, but, um, and I'd really like to, to make it right with you. I'd really like to chat about it. So it's kind of cool that oftentimes later on we're capable of being like, oh man, like I was a complete ass back then. I just, I hope that uh, if he needs it, that Elkie gets that moment because yeah. man, oh man, highly entertaining though. I wouldn't change it for anything. It was fantastic. Yeah. I want to delve into EPT Retro in a bit more detail in the coming weeks. I've got an idea of something we could do to do a proper recap of these streams. I have to say, I, I, I'm really enjoying it. I know for you, Joe, it's a new experience because you've not seen any of these old EPTs. You never yeah. saw these TV shows when they first aired. And obviously for me, I either watched them on TV or in some cases actually provided the original commentary for them. But my memory's not that good and I can't recall hands... Uh, players from that long ago so it's 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 a fun experience to relive these classic EPTs and we are going to continue doing it Wednesdays and Thursdays for the coming weeks current plan is to keep going until we reach the end of season six which would have been spring of 2010 so a year before Joe Stapleton officially joined the tour <laughs> uh, keep an eye out we will confirm start times for next week's streams at the start of next week so uh, it'll be across the usual social channels and obviously we'll publish that information on the day uh we are going to bring on this week's super fan now one of them loves the ept knows it inside out and would do anything for the european poker tour the other one is joe stapleton it's super fan versus stapes as usual, we end the podcast with the opportunity for one of our loyal listeners to win some prizes, some T-dollars, and some Poker in the Ears swag. Please welcome to the podcast, David Bennett. Hello, David. Good morning, good afternoon. I didn't realize this was for money, Jesus. <laughs> oh, yes, you're playing for real T-dollars. Um, I don't like my chances against David because he's smart enough to know his morning for me and afternoon for you. And that's that's just already a step ahead of where most people are. We shall see, because I know you have revisited the movie. But before we get to David's specialist subject, let's find out about the man himself. Who is your daddy and what does he do, David? Oh, well, um, I'm retired. Um, I am a, a big poker fan. I've been playing live since uh, 2006. I actually uh, played a, a game Saturday with you at the Fox back in 2012, early 2012. It was a 30, 33 pound freeze out. And you spent most of the couple of hours I was there having a massage, which must have cost you <laughs> X multiples of the actual buy-in. So, uh... <laughs> this is so Joe Stapleton. That story 100% checks out. Absolutely. What are you retired from? Uh, I used to be a printer. So I had a little print brokerage in, in Clerkenwell. And, uh, yeah, just sort of applied some trade. But I, my, I started working in 2004, and uh, I've just been traveling, really. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. What's your favorite place? What's your go-to travel destination? You know, like Mallorca, one of those one of those Spanish islands that you people love so much? No, I'm a, I'm a big... Uh, Central America, so uh, Costa Rica cool. is top of the list, really. Oh, cool. I've never been there. I hope to go one day. I hope to go. There's a runner-runner reality tour. 
I want right. to go take in Costa Rica. You, you visit all the locations from the movie. Okay, we are not going to discuss any more bad movies on this podcast. We're going to discuss good movies. And David, you have picked one of my personal favorites as your specialist subject. I did realize this morning that I have owned multiple versions of this film. I've owned it on VHS. I've owned it on widescreen VHS. I owned the DVD. I owned the DTS soundtrack version of the DVD. I owned the <laughs> Blu-ray. And now I own the digital version in 4K HDR. We're talking about Michael Mann's Heat. Classic. Okay, so Heat. The first time I saw Heat, I thought it was fine. Oops. And I had been wanting to rewatch it because I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand what all the hubbub was about for Heat. And so I will say that in rewatching it, I liked it more than I liked it the first time, but I still thought it was fine. Oh. And at this point, I would like to congratulate David Bennett for winning this week's edition of Superfan vs. Stapes. Let's dispense with the quiz. I don't... James, like, what is so special about this movie? Like, it is... There's, like, not a whole lot to the story. What? The, the dialogue is fine. <laughs> the action scenes are very good. I like those. The best, yeah. Um... But I don't know. It all it's, it's all like pretty good. Well, it was a toss-up between that and Point Break. See, Point Break, I've also never seen, it, and I'm sure this is better than that. Like, this is a solid like seven, mm. like maybe even yeah, like a seven, seven point five. What, what am I missing, James? I think you're missing the fact that. It's very difficult to take it out of context. Of course, at the time, there was all the hype about the fact that it was De Niro and Pacino on screen together for the first time. I just think it's a really strong story, but also it's just so beautifully shot. It's just a wonderful film to look at. And I just think it's interesting that there's quite a a wide array of characters in this movie. The cast is quite quite big. Um, And with a couple of exceptions, I think they do a very good job of fleshing out all of these characters. The only plot line that I feel clearly suffers from this film having been cut down from a much longer version is the story surrounding Natalie Portman's character, his stepdaughter, and how she randomly ends up trying to kill herself in his hotel room. That just didn't really fly for me, but the rest of it I like. Um, I love De Niro's character, love Pacino's character, love all the other cops, all the other gangsters. It's got John Voight. Uh, I can't really say any more because I might be giving away answers to questions that are upcoming. Yeah, all right, fine. And also, but David, if you want to have your say your piece about why well, I'm mean, getting this wrong, obviously, bit of bit of prep. I watched it again last night, and uh, it, just, it just sort of hits you that I, I think it fits in with my with my sort of fairly sort of disjointed mind, whereby there are there are there are multiple storylines that are all interwoven, and you hop from one to the other, and as you see, everything collide, and I, and I, I think it just holds my attention. Anyway, we have 10 questions, multiple choice options available. Some of them have bonus questions attached. David, as our guest, as our superfan, you get to go first. Which number would you like? Now, one and two are the double point questions. Is that right? Uh, All the questions are worth the same. So two points if you don't need the options, one point if you take the multiple choice options. Let's start with number one. Number one. What do we see Neil steal at the very start of the film? An ambulance. An ambulance for two points. And there is a bonus question attached. During their first heist, how many minutes does Neil's crew have before the police are due to arrive? Three. 
three for the bonus point. Joe, where would you like to go on the board first? I'm going to go number two. Right. Who plays Kelso, the guy who approaches Neil and Nate with the bank job? Uh, Kelso, the guy who approaches Neil. That's John Voigt. It is not John Voigt, which means that you can steal because the options have not gone yet. It also means, David, that you steal Joe's bonus question. Blimey. Do you know who plays Kelso? Um, I do not. I can tell you it was Tom Noonan. And you now get the bonus question, which Joe would have got. Tom Noonan played a serial killer in which mid-1980s Michael Mann movie? No. Manhunter. Unfortunately, Joe, you're not entitled to answer the question. You don't get any points. So it's 3-0 as we go into the second round. Uh, David, for your second question, what would you like? Uh, number three, please. I see we're going to go in chronological order. <laughs> what is the full name of the character whose bearer bonds are stolen by Neil's crew? Roger Van Zandt. Roger Van Zandt for two points. And there is a bonus question. What is yep. the face value of the stolen bearer bonds? 12.1 No, it was only $1.6 million. 0.6. Remember, bonus questions can only be stolen if you get the main question wrong. Joe, are you going to go with question four? Yeah. Complete the quotation. I'm talking to an empty telephone. Because you're a dead man. Close enough. I'm going to give you the two points. The line is actually because there's a dead man on the other end of this fucking line. Would you like question five, David? Yes, please. Why does Vincent lose his temper with Ralph? Ooh. Remember, multiple choice options are available if you want to go for one point. Uh, yeah, multiple choice. Okay, is it because Ralph slept with his wife, Ralph is drinking out of his coffee mug, Ralph is watching his TV, Ralph lost Lauren's barrettes? Uh, Ralph is watching his TV. It's because of the TV, and you get one point. I couldn't place Ralph there for a second. <laughs> Xander Berkeley, who interestingly played Wayne Grow in the original version of the movie, LA Takedown. Uh, Joe, what would you like next? Uh, whatever's next, I'll take it. I'll, we'll just keep going. Okay, we'll <clears> go with number six then. What does Neil tell Edie he does for a living? He's a salesman. More specifically? Metals. Correct, for two points. Bonus, what type of store does Edie work at? A bookstore. It's getting closer. 6-5, the score. Do you want mm. question seven, David? Yes, please. How much of Donald's paycheck is he expected to kick back to his boss at the diner? Uh, 25%. 25% for two points. Bonus question, who plays Donald? Ah! I don't know. Dennis Haysbert, President Palmer himself. Uh, Joe so funny. My girlfriend goes, Denzel Washington. I go, it's Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> Eight, nine, or ten, Joey? Eight's good. Thank you. How does Wayne Grove find out about the bank heist? Wayne Grove finds out about the bank heist from... Let's see. Wayne Grove is that guy. He finds out about the bank heist would you like to take the multiple choice options? Oh, yeah, I'll options? take the options. Yeah, yeah. Does he get an anonymous tip-off? He tortures Treo. He pays off Nate. 
He blackmails Michael. He tortures Trejo. Correct, for one point. And we go in to... Oh, sorry, there's a bonus question. My apologies. <clears throat> bonus question, Joe. What name does Wayne Grow use when he books himself a suite at the hotel near the airport? Jameson. Correct. No. <laughs> okay, we're going into the final round. And the score is eight points to David, seven points to Joe. So, David, you have a one-point lead going to the final round. Remember, you don't have to go in chronological order. You can take either question nine or question ten. I'm going to take question nine just to be totally predictable. What does... I think that he was trying to clue you in that there was a <laughs> bonus question on question ten. Both nine and ten have bonuses. Question Everyone nine. Question nine. What does Neil say his recurring dream is about? I know it's not about not having enough time. There are multiple choice options available. Go on then. Is it taking down scores, flying, drowning, or driving at high speed? Probably drowning, right? It is drowning for a point. And the bonus question, which country is he hoping to escape to with Edie? New Zealand. Correct. So, your final score, 10 points. Joe, you need to get question 10 without taking the options and the bonus to tie the game. Okay. Question number 10. What Tense. is Neil's last line? I'm really... He feeling the heat. <laughs> Neil's last line. I know what. I know what. Pacino's last line is. He says, "Yeah." He says it in response to what Neil says as he's dying. Right. Oh. Uh, I told you I was never going back. Correct for two points, and you have the option. <laughs> you have the option to tie the game by getting the bonus question correct. What is the name of the Moby track that plays over the final scene of the movie? Porcelain. No, it's God moving over the face of the waters. It was close. Ten points to nine. But well David, played. David, you've sealed victory. I was actually quite hoping we would get to the tiebreaker. I'm going to give you the tiebreaker question. Please perform Vincent <laughs> Hanna's over-the-top response to this question. Why did I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she's got a great ass. Absolutely. <laughs> you would have won hands down. Uh, congratulations, David. You're going to get $55 T plus. We wow. will let you pick a Poker in the Ears t-shirt from our new range of merch. Ooh. Thank you very much for leaving us a lovely review, applying to come on the show, saying nice things about us, watching the live streams, and listening to the podcast. We appreciate you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Good job. <laughs> All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, keep watching EPT Retro. Yeah. Six more episodes? No, just two days of streaming. Oh, I see what you mean, six shows. Uh, I think it works out as six TV shows on the Wednesday and six on the Thursday, so oh. 12 episodes. But I prefer to think of it as events rather than shows. So I think we're going to be covering four different events next week i'll check the schedule and see what's actually planned we might do a bit of an ept throwback next week and might get someone whose shiny ball dome we've seen a lot of <laughs> in these classic ept streams at lee big horse jones i'll see if i can tap up big horse
And speaking of things we might do, we might kick off our two-week Rounders retrospective. So remember, guys, you got lots of time. Watch the movie with the commentary track if you can get your hands on that one. Uh, and to go along with that, if you guys wanted to tweet at Brian Koppelman and tell him how much <laughs> you loved it when he was on the show last time, I wouldn't be mad at it. Don't be aggressive or weird. Just be like, oh, man, that was so great when you were on Poker in the Years. When are you going on again? I think is more than sufficient. Also, we might, depending on schedules, start on Poker and Pop Culture by Martin Harris. Yes. Now, if you want a free copy of the book, remember, I'm giving away number of copies from the game that we just did. Okay, guys? So if you want a free copy of a book of the book, leave a review of the podcast, screenshot it, tag me at Stapes, use the hashtag poker in the years. The first number of people who do it, I will DM you. I will ship you the copy, a copy of the book from an independent bookstore in your area. If I can find one that's still open, if not, I will Amazon it to you. And that way, uh, and also don't do it if you don't think you're going to read the book, right? If you genuinely want the book, you would genuinely want to hop in as a super fan. You want to be, be a part of the discussion. I will happily send out copies of the book so we can all play along. I have started reading the book, by the way, in the last few days, and I'm enjoying it tremendously. The key thing to say is that Martin is a good writer. Okay, so it's a well-written book. He's someone with a passion for the game, and that comes out of the text. And clearly, he knows his stuff. The man has lectured about poker at university, for heaven's sake. He knows all of the movies that he's talking about, the TV shows, the music. The history of the game section is fascinating, so I strongly recommend it as a book you should be reading. There it is, my babies. Until next time, comment, like, subscribe. Come on, give us some clicks. But that is all the time we have for this week's show. Until next week, for James Hardigan, this is Joe Stapleton. I'll smell you later. Smell you later.